Welcome back, folks. I am your host, the NFL Always Offseason GM Fred, and we got a great show tuned up for you here today. Uh, we're going to go through, as always, our favorite storylines from the previous week, uh, make our predictions for week 14, and then we're going to jump into the college football stuff. Uh, I know they just finished up their conference championship weekend. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of players shuffling up and down boards, a lot of guys standing out, a lot of guys falling back. We wanted to highlight some of the, the key guys at each position that have really made a name for himself throughout the, the college regular season here. So make sure you stay tuned to the end of the show there, and we're just going to hop right into it here. We've seen a lot of uh, divisional races get sorted out this week 13, and it, it, some very interesting outcomes here, and we just want to run through our favorite storylines. And leading right off here, the first one is going to be the Patriots outlasting the Buffalo Bills in their divisional showdown on Monday Night Football. And they finished with a score of 14-10, to 10, and the elements really played a factor here. There was like snow and rainy mix kind of falling down during the entire game. It was very cold. Uh, which basically you can th- imagine what kind of game this was. And it was a de- it was a defensive showdown. The Patriots only totaled 19 yards passing the entire game. They had 222 yards rushing. And I believe it was Harris and Stevenson combined for 189 yards and a touchdown. So uh, they kept it on the ground here. They they stuck to their guns, which is kind of basically the mo of their offense is that they're they're a run first team and they just completely embraced it this week. On the flip side in a game like this, uh, the Bills, exactly like we talked about uh, in last week's show, they don't have much of a ground game. So when you force the ground game, excuse me, them to go to the ground game, uh, who are they going to rely on here? Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, uh, Matt Breida? All of these are options that have not proven themselves over the entire 13 weeks of the season so far. So the burden falls on Josh Allen, and in a game like this, there's just not much you can do. So kudos to the Patriots. They they, they get in the driver's seat for the AFC East there. So moving right on into our second storyline, and that one's going to be the Chiefs controlling the AFC West with a win over the Broncos. So another game here that I don't think was quite as high scoring as everybody thought it was going to be. Uh, when you think of the Chiefs and how they were getting hot, Uh, I think a lot of people are thinking like, oh, they're going to hit the over in this one. Supposedly, I I believe this one was another cold weather game, but that shouldn't affect either of these teams. They're used to that. But the Chiefs end up pulling it out 22 to 9. And really, uh, Mahomes, again, didn't quite look like himself. Only 184 yards and an interception. And on the flip side, the Broncos had 404 yards of total offense. Uh, Teddy Two Gloves has 257 yards and a touchdown, but to go with it, he has two interceptions. And they really tried to keep the ball on the ground like throughout this entire game. Even when they were down big in like the fourth quarter, they were still feeding Javante Williams. He finished with 102 yards on the ground. So that's a pretty good stat line for him. But when you're down by multiple scores, you can't really lean on the run game as much as you'd maybe like to. And the main reason they're down here is basically them losing the turnover battle. Uh, they're minus two compared to Kansas City plus two. And the the Broncos aren't quite dead yet. Just the the AFC is so wide open. I think that uh, the seventh seed right now is currently the Bills. They're seven and five, and the Broncos are at six and six. Are definitely not out of this, and they have a very favorable schedule moving forward. But it's a tough game. It, you never want to have your playoff hopes on the line against a team like the Kansas City Chiefs. But I was kind of hoping for a little bit more out of the Denver Broncos. And even the Kansas City Chiefs themselves, they played good defense, but I was kind of hoping more for this offense to, to get moving on the right track. And they, they continue to kind of flounder through week by week here. But nonetheless, the Kansas City Chiefs really stepping up, really running hot here, and they get a win 22-9 to over the Broncos. Which takes us into our third storyline of the week, and it's going to be the Washington football team are dancing right into the playoffs. And another game that... I didn't really think Washington would be competitive in, but they end up pulling out a really sneaky win again, and it's it's seventeen to fifteen over the Raiders. And when we take a look at the box score here, uh, the football team really got outmatched by the Raiders in pretty much every aspect except the ground game. They ended up losing the turnover battle; they were minus one compared to Las Vegas, who's plus one, and. 
They got out gained by the Raiders as well, two by 12 yards, 310 to 298. And they got, they had less passing yards, 200 or 186 to 234. But like I said, the rushing yardage was there. Uh, Gibson goes for 88 yards on 23 totes. Uh, Heineke gets 196 yards through the air and two touchdowns, just enough to win. And on the flip side, when we're taking a look at David Derek Carr, 249 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, Josh Jacobs goes for 52 on the ground and a touchdown. Those are just numbers that aren't going to get it done for the Raiders. Uh, Derek Carr, like I said, doesn't make mistakes, but we need a little bit more out of him. I said in last week's show, when we're looking at quarterbacks that I would trust, I would definitely trust Derek Carr over Taylor Heineke. And that's the name of the game here is uh, Heineke outplayed Derek Carr. Uh, and that's just that that wins football games. Good quarterback play wins football games. Mediocre quarterback play doesn't win football games. And that's how Derek Carr played this week. And that's kind of was, was the detriment of the Raiders here. So kudos to the Redskins, or excuse me, the Washington football team. I'm going to really struggle with that for years. But uh, kudos to the Washington football team. They get a hard-fought win. And really, they I, I believe that they're the, the sixth seed in the NFC playoff picture at the moment. So we, we might be seeing a lot more of the football team. Rolling right into our fourth storyline of the week here. And it's going to be the Chargers outgunning the Cincinnati Bengals. And this was actually probably the game of the week here. It, was, it looked, ended up being a really good game. Uh, it, it was a lot closer, I felt like, especially heading into the fourth quarter than what the score suggested. It was, excuse me, 24-22 to 22 heading into the fourth, and then the Chargers scored 17 unanswered and, and really made it look like a blowout. But overall, they were pretty fairly matched here. It was... Uh, 356 yards to 363 yards passing yardage the Chargers had the slight edge with 284 to 260 in rushing yardage the Bengals had the slight edge 96 to 79 and the all-important stat of the the turnover battle uh, the Chargers end up are plus one Bengals minus one uh, Bengals had two fumbles lost two interceptions thrown Chargers have two fumbles lost one interception thrown so there's a ton of turnovers in this game it just mattered who came out on top and really, the Bengals ended up coming out on top, and it didn't even work in their favor here. But I know in the fourth quarter, there was a huge, huge flipping of the script when they it was a Joe Mixon fumble. Chargers scoop and score it, get a free seven points, and they really kind of close out the game with it. And I know uh, there was a couple of these turnovers. It, it's going to show Burrow had a couple interceptions. One of them was an absolute dime to Jamar Chase in the end zone. And he puts on his best circus act and starts juggling the ball and ends up in the, the, the Chargers' hands. And it was really a perfect pass. And this is before I, I believe Joe Burrow ended up getting a little shaken up in this one. He had a, a pinky issue. Looked like his pinky was broken for a while there. But nonetheless, like that's one that gets attributed to Burrow, which it should have been flipped the other way. It should have been like almost a 14, 10-point swing in the Bengals' favor. And it ends up going against them. But... Herbert was fantastic in this one as well, too. 317 yards, three touchdowns, two, one interception. Uh, he was really able to push the ball down the field. I think I read somewhere that he had over 9 or 10 yards uh, per attempt, which it really is a testament to the fact that he's he's really making an effort to push the ball down the field as a starting quarterback. And uh, he was really able to distribute it all around. Keenan Allen had two scores. Mike Williams ends up with over 100 yards. Uh, Guyton ends up with 90 yards and a touchdown. So it, it was a good performance by Herbert. It's it's really a, this showdown was a testament to the future of the league. I think it's it's in safe hands with both of these guys, both competitors, both high level quarterbacks that know how to play the game of football. And it's really exciting watching them. And the the Chargers had kind of been floundering the last few weeks. So it's good that they get back in the, the playoff picture here. I think they're currently slated as the five seed. So hats off to the Chargers after a tough, hard-fought win over Cincinnati. And for our last storyline this week, we're going to go over to Detroit. And the Lions did it. The Lions finally won a football game. Uh, the Lions end up taking down the Minnesota Vikings 29-27. Uh, to And this game... <laughs> It, it was a matter of who wanted the game less because I was watching this at the tail end of it and you can clearly see the Lions are folding this one and they give the Vikings back the ball. Vikings drive down the field, score, take the lead they, and then they give the ball back to the, the Lions with about a minute 10 left and I think they had like one touchdown, minute 30 
and you're thinking, like, there's no way they're going to win this football game. Well, here we are, Jared Goff, driving him right down the field. He ends up finishing the day with 296 yards and three touchdowns to one interception. Never would have seen that coming out of him. And they drive it right down the field. The Vikings are playing such a soft, soft coverage. They're giving up everything underneath. And they finally are within 10 yards on the last play. And it might have been one of the worst plays, or excuse me, uh, last plays by a defense since maybe that uh, halftime performance by the Green Bay Packers in the championship game last year. But essentially what they did is their their DBs are about 10 to 15 yards, or excuse me, 5 to 10 yards deep in the end zone. And the Lions receiver literally just runs into the end zone, stops in the front, and they hit him right on the money as soon as he hits the end zone. And there's no way a def- Vikings defender can get there because he's so deep in the end zone. And that's how they win in walk-off fashion. So... I don't really understand what the Vikings were doing on defense there. You could tell that the players were completely heartbroken losing to the Detroit Lions. And on the flip side, Detroit Lions were absolutely stoked they f- to finally get their guy, their guy a win, Dan Campbell. And really, honestly, I was I was pretty happy for him too, mainly because it seems like the guys really like playing for him. He, he's clearly a very passionate football guy, and he, he finally pulls out a, a tough, hard-fought win. And, and when you think of the city of Detroit, it's... It's kind of a gritty, tough uh, region there, and it, it just it seems like Dan Campbell's the right guy for the job there, and it seems like he really takes a lot of pride in it. So on a real note, it's congratulations to the Detroit Lions because I think that no team deserves to be 0-16, let alone 0-16-1. So they finally get off the schneid, and they're basically getting the win here. So that's going to be it for the, the slate of games here. We're going to fold right over into the our Unlikely Hero of the Week award. The Jameis Winston Award, our Honorary Unlikely Hero of the Week. And really this week, I don't know if he's necessarily unlikely, but given the circumstances that, that got him to this point, I'm going to call him unlikely. And uh, the Unlikely Hero of the Week this week is going to be Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is the backup quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Eagles end up beating the Jets this past weekend, 33-18. to And really, Hurts has been the, the unquestioned starter all season, even after the Eagles traded a fifth-rounder for Gardner Minshew. Uh, and really, a fifth-rounder is like almost nothing at this point to get good quarterback play. But Gardner steps up. He's 20 for 25, 242 yards and two touchdowns, and zero interceptions. Gives him a 133.7 QB rating. And really... Just very efficient and very uh, numbered. And basically the way he's played his entire career in Jacksonville, he, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He's he's throwing the ball around. He's completing passes, uh, high percentage, and he's not turning the ball over. That's the most important part. If you, if you turn the ball over, you lose football games. And when you throw zero interceptions, you're doing your job. So hats off to Gardner Minshew. Uh, really the main reason I wanted to get him the award here is Kind of his his circumstances getting out of Jacksonville there. Um, I honestly didn't think he was that bad in Jacksonville, uh, but when when you're at the number one pick, there's just a change needs to be made. So that they ship him out, and it kind of looks like he's done. It kind of looks like his career's over. Nobody really goes out of their way to go get him right off the bat. But he lands in Philadelphia, and it's not exactly a favorable situation because they're obviously trying to see what they got in Jalen Hurts. But he finally gets his moment, and he steps up in the biggest way. And it, and it was a really wholesome moment after the game. If you've seen the video of him and his dad hugging it out, just super pumped to finally get this opportunity and to really get a huge win for the Philadelphia Eagles, keep him in the playoff race. So that's why we're going with Gardner Minshew, uh, unlikely hero of the week. It sounds like he's not going to keep the job moving forward, but either way, at least he's got this one to hang his hat on. Before we look ahead to week 14, I'm just going to reflect on week 13 and our picks from that week. And last week we were 8 for 6, which in in the big picture of things isn't terrible. We've definitely had much worse days than that, or excuse me, much worse weeks than that. But 8 and 6 isn't bad. We did really good in the early games. Uh, we were like two and six uh, between Thursday and like the early games on Sunday. Then after that, it just kind of fell off with uh, the the Cincinnati Bengals and the San Francisco Forty ers Baltimore Ravens, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So hopefully we bounce back again this week. I guess it's not really bounce back, but kind of get back to our ten win, twelve win weeks. So 
when we take a look at the the slate of games, the first game starts tomorrow, Thursday night football, with the Steelers at the Vikings. And the Vikings are coming off a really tough loss to the Detroit Lions. They're the, the winless, now win individual, <laughs> uh, not plural, they're Detroit Lions. And the Steelers come off a really, really good win against uh, the Baltimore Ravens, who had kind of been reeling. Uh, and there was some news over the weekend as well that Big Ben, uh, this is his final season. I can definitely see it. He, as we've said before on the pod, he's, he's pretty much cooked. I mean, this guy doesn't have a whole lot left in that arm. But after watching the Vikings and how depleted they're going to be, I'm assuming Dalvin Cook doesn't play with that shoulder injury. Uh, Adam Thielen's now going to be missing time. And that that's just not the same offensive attack. And that defense can't stop a nosebleed at this point. So give me the Steelers in that one, just because I like their defense a little bit more. Moving on into Sunday, we get the the New Orleans Saints at the New York Jets. And the same thing for the Saints, as we kind of discussed with the Vikings, is that their injury situation is kind of a mess. With uh, Michael Thomas missing most of the year, Jameis Winston's down, Taysom Hill's got a uh, nicked up finger, and then we also got Alvin Kamara, who's missed pretty significant time here too. So I'm just going to preface this by saying, uh, if Kamara's in, I'm taking the New Orleans Saints. If Kamara's out, I'm taking the New York Jets. And basically, I like the Jets just because I think their defense isn't very good, but I like the the ceiling with their offense if Kamara doesn't go. I think that they can put up a few more points than the Saints can. Uh, the Saints' defense is still a little bit tougher, but they'll also be playing without Cam Jordan, which is a huge hit to their their defensive front. So give me the Jets over the Saints if Kamara doesn't play. That takes us into the next game, which is a divisional matchup between the 5-7 and seven Falcons and the 5-7 and seven Panthers. And this is a, a story of two different teams that have had two different outcomes on their season. Panthers start out red hot. Sam Darnold's defying uh, all preseason narratives that he's had and then completely falls off, and now Cam Newton's their starting quarterback after cutting him two seasons back. And on the flip side, the Atlanta Falcons, another team that's been hovering right around 500, but one week they win you know, a close, tight game. Next week they get blown out by 40 points. We don't know. I don't really understand who that team is. All I do know is that the Falcons don't have any defense. And then the good thing for them is the Carolina Panthers just fired their offensive coordinator out of nowhere. Uh, I don't really get the move mainly because I thought Joe Brady was pretty good uh, and he didn't really have a whole lot of stuff to work with with Christian McCaffrey being hurt most of the last two years. And then uh, Sam Darnold being his starting quarterback and Teddy Bridgewater. So, uh when I look at the big picture, though, here, I, I like it, Cam's ability, as long as he doesn't turn the ball over, to really help run this clock. Uh, Chuba Hubbard's a capable backup. He's not the same dynamic runner as Christian McCaffrey, but he's capable, and there's a lot of other weapons on that offense with DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and so on. Uh, on the flip side, the Falcons, uh, I, they have maybe Kyle Pitts on offense, and that's about it. Cordell Patterson's had a really nice year. But outside of that, I don't I don't really trust Matt Ryan anymore. He's not very mobile. He can't escape the rush. He's not able to push the ball like he used to. So I just I'm I'm not the biggest Matt Ryan fan, and I don't like their defense. So that just spells to me, take the Carolina Panthers at home here. So that's what we're gonna do. Then we get the Seahawks at the Texans, and honestly, the the Texans have looked absolutely terrible. And I keep hearing from outlets all over is how does this team win two football games and I don't really understand I thought for sure that they would have been head and shoulders worse than the Detroit Lions but here we are the Seahawks got a real tough hard-fought win over to the San Francisco 49ers and showed that they're not going to go down easy this year as long as Russ Wilson's their quarterback and I think it's gonna be more of the same this week this Houston Texans team on both sides of the ball is just completely porous. It looks like Tyler Taylor is now going to be missing time, so it makes their offense even worse. So give me the Seahawks on the road. That takes us into the next game. It's going to be the Raiders and the Chiefs. And the first showdown of this one I, I thought was much more highly touted. It was back when we didn't know quite what the Raiders were, 
And uh, the Chiefs were kind of reeling. They hadn't been playing very good defense. Their offense had kind of been fumbling around. And they end up beating the brakes off them by like 30 points. Now the Chiefs get this next one at home. And they're a much more complete team at this point. Their defense has really kicked it up like the last six or seven weeks. I think I read a stat that they're like a top five, top ten defense in the last six or seven weeks since that game. And the Raiders on the flip side are completely scrambling to find an identity. They just lost to the Washington football team with Taylor Heineke at quarterback. So you you take your pick here. I know who I'm taking. I'm rolling with the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, and they probably beat them again by multiple scores. Which takes us into the next divisional matchup. It's going to be the Ravens at the Browns. And the Ravens, like I mentioned previously, they're coming off a real tough loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And when we're taking a look at it, they they normally have owned the Browns in their matchups. Mainly Lamar Jackson has owned the Browns. Uh, he, he's pretty much lit them up. But when we look at the Browns, too, is that this year they, they're not quite the team that we thought they were going to be. They're not as bad as they have been in years past. You know, the, the old Browns days of a few years back where they're winning two, three, four games. But this is a team that's struggling to score points. Uh, their whole identity is built around the run game. And when the run game doesn't get going and they can't lean on it or they get behind early, they really struggle. Uh, the good thing is, is they're going against another team that's been struggling, as we mentioned with the Ravens. So... I think it'll be a pretty solid showdown, especially them getting it, the, the game at home there. But I'm still, I'm still not buying uh, the. I guess <laughs> my apologies here. Uh, when I'm thinking about the Ravens, I'm thinking about their injuries. Their entire running back room has been hurt all year. They've had a ton of dudes in and out of the lineup, nicked up with injuries, and now. Last week, they have to go for two to try to win the football game because they don't have any cornerbacks left to cover wide receivers. That's a huge, huge piece, especially now that Marlon Humphrey's out. Uh, that tells me Jimmy Smith's out. That tells me Marcus Peters' out. Obviously, Marcus Peters is out. He tore his ACL in early camp. So I don't really know if I can take this Baltimore Ravens team. I'm I'm seeing this one more as a shootout just because of these defenses and Lamar's ability to expose Cleveland. So give me Cleveland at home over the Ravens uh, in a high-scoring affair. And then we get another divisional matchup here in the early slate of games. It's going to be the Cowboys at the Washington football team. And this is a, a sneaky good game lately. The The Washington football team really been creeping up the standings here as they're, I believe they're a 500 football team. And uh, they're currently in the playoff picture as like a six seed. So... We get a showdown here of NFC East rivals. Uh, the Cowboys have rebounded pretty well last week against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, they're getting, they're starting to get a lot of their key pieces back, like uh, Zeke's getting healthy, uh, Lamb's back, uh, Mari Cooper came back from off the COVID list, Michael Gallup's back, and then some of that offensive line is starting to piece back together. In addition to Randy Gregory and I believe Tank Lawrence might be back. Don't quote me on that one. I thought his injury was significant earlier in the year, and he's he's due to, to come back at some point in the year. But regardless, I just I like the firepower of the Dallas Cowboys on both sides of the ball compared to what the, the Washington football team has. When you're looking at matchups, you're looking at like Trayvon Diggs against Terry McLaurin. That's a pretty even one. But elsewhere in the secondary, I'm still taking the Cowboys over the Washington football team because who is the Washington football team's number two? Exactly. I'm not exactly even sure at this point. They, Logan Thomas was a good second option, but now he's got an injury. Curtis Samuel has not lived up to his contract. So on the flip side, I know the football team's defense has played a lot better as of late, especially with that front, uh, Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, uh, Jonathan Allen. But uh, I just I can't see them slowing down this this Cowboys offensive attack with Dak and Zeke and Tony Pollard's looked really really good lately with Gallup Lamb there's just I don't think they have the talent on the back end to cover just about anybody in that receiving core so give me the Cowboys over the Washington football team and here the next game here is going to be another divisional showdown we're getting a ton of them this week and it's going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Tennessee Titans the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, get blown out of water by the Los Angeles Rams last week. Uh, this week they get to come back over to the AFC side of things and face a top three seed 
in the Tennessee Titans. Uh, the Titans could really use a win right now. Uh, I believe they had a tough loss a couple weeks back. I think they were on bye last week. And they get a, a very solid divisional showdown here. Uh, it's one to help them get right. I don't see them losing this game just with how their defense has been playing and their ability to just plug and play anybody at the running back position that and still get production. I think the last time they played, they played against the Patriots and had 300 yards rushing with Deontay Foreman and uh, Dontre, uh, Dontrell Hilliard. So that just that spells it there for me is I if they can do that to the New England Patriots who have a top five, top ten defense, I'm rolling with them all day over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, the the main thing I'm looking for with the Jacksonville Jaguars here is I just I really want to see them have a little bit of life. I want to see Trevor Lawrence be able to push the ball down the field and, and be efficient. I don't want to see the turnovers. I want to see him be able to move the ball. And I want them to be able to score points because they haven't been able to score points in the last few weeks. So things to watch for in that game. But nonetheless, I'm still taking Titans over the Jaguars. Which takes us into the late slate of games here. And it's the first one's going to be the Giants at the Chargers. The Chargers get a huge win over the Cincinnati Bengals last week that really has big-time playoff implications. And they have the New York Giants coming to town in a game where the Giants... I mean, if Joe Judge's seat isn't getting hotter every day, then I don't know what is. Uh, they just haven't been able to put up points offensively at all. Jason Garrett's been fired. Um, the The shining light here is I think that they're getting, they have Saquon Barkley back. They might be getting Kadarius Toney back, who's been a pretty dynamic weapon for them on offense as well, too. And Daniel Jones may play. I know he was close last week and he ended up not playing. But regardless, I don't think that even has an effect on the outcome here. I think San Diego's defense, excuse me, San Diego, Los Angeles' defense can do just enough to keep them from scoring, and Justin Herbert's going to light these guys up. I mean, Justin Herbert scoring three, four touchdowns against like the Cincinnati Bengals defense, which we've said before is vastly improved over 2020. And now you get a, a New York Giants defense that's been really struggling this year. Uh, I'm taking that matchup all day and twice on Sunday, so give me the – Chargers over the Giants. In our next afternoon matchup, we get the Detroit Lions coming off their first victory of the season, visiting the Denver Broncos. And when I take a look at this one, it's it might be one of the more unwatchable games of this entire slate this weekend. And it actually might take that award home for us between them and the Seahawks and the Texans. But uh the only reason I don't like watching this one is I don't imagine there's going to be a ton of offense in this one. Uh, you get the the gunslinger showdown of Jared Goff versus Teddy Bridgewater. If that gets anybody excited, you let me know because it doesn't do anything for me. I mean, the I guess the the light at the end of the tunnel here is maybe you get some DeAndre Swift back. You get to see some more Javante Williams. So maybe like an old school ground attack does it for you, and that's something that you want to see. But either way, I won't be tuning into this one. Uh, the Detroit Lions defense has not looked great. Uh, they pretty much almost opened the door and ushered in the Minnesota Vikings on defense last week. And on the flip side, the Denver Broncos, widely, vastly known for their defense, have not quite lived up to par. So give me the Denver Broncos, mainly just because they're at home, uh, They've been, looked like a more complete football team at multiple points in the season this year. And the Detroit Lions still look like they're not even able to be competitive. They just pulled out a lucky win last week. So Broncos over the Lions. Taking us into one of the better showdowns of the week here. We get the San Francisco 49ers coming into town to Zach Taylor. And... Zach Taylor takes a tough loss at the Chargers last week, as we mentioned. The 49ers get a tough loss at the Seattle Seahawks last week. Uh, it's a divisional showdown, so you can't really expect teams not to bring the bring the heat into these some of these games. So it's not surprising there. But I, I think this one has big implications because both these guys are fighting for playoff spots at this point. Uh, the Bengals, I believe, are like a, a four or five seed, I believe. Uh, maybe a seven seed no bills are seven chargers five maybe they're a six seed uh Bengals should be a six seed and on the flip side the 49ers might be like a seven seed 
ish right around that range and if not on the outside looking in so this has huge implications here and uh, the real concern here is going to be with Joe Burrow and his ability to throw the ball after suffering that injury last week I know that uh he looked really good before the injury not so good after it and it looked like it was really bothering him on his throwing hand there so other than that uh, I think the Bengals have the better defense they have the better running attack and they have the better weapons on offense the only thing I have concerns with is who's calling the plays. Is Kyle Shanahan's going to win that probably nine times out of ten in the league? Not, there's not a lot of play callers in the league that are better better than Kyle Shanahan. And as long as they can remain efficient, I'm very high on the 49ers. And their defense has not been a slouch either. Uh, Nick Bosa is having a really resurgent year, so powered by him. Give me the 49ers over the Bengals. Uh, I, I believe that they're going to do enough to hold Joe Burrow off the field and really manage the clock with their run game at Eli Mitchell. So give me the 49ers over the Bengals. Which takes us into another pretty solid showdown here, and it's the Bills uh, at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Might be the game of the week here if it wasn't for Monday Night Football. And when I'm looking at the Bills at the Buccaneers, the Bills had a really tough loss on Monday night this last week. Uh, they were in an absolute dogfight with the Patriots, uh, where a game where it was like almost not visible, the the wind was just whipping around, and I, I think there was some precipitation falling, and made it really hard to throw the ball, which is a lot of their identity. And I mentioned this on the pod last week, and if if you're gonna make a team run the ball, the Patriots are the team you don't want to play. And if you're gonna make a team run the ball, the team you do want to play is the Buffalo Bills because they just they are not able to engineer anything on the ground, and I'm. Like I said, if you're going to make Josh Allen be your leading rusher, you're not going to win football games. And Josh Allen was their leading rusher on Monday. So rolling into this matchup, I think that you're going to get a much better Bills team this week. But I don't know if it's going to be good enough to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because they're really firing on all cylinders. And I think they're, I don't think he's back yet. I think he might be on suspension now, Antonio Brown, because of the fake vaccine card. But it doesn't even matter. Gronk is back to, it almost looks like old Gronk. Uh, you still got Chris Godwin. You still got Mike Evans. Uh, Cameron Bray puts in a little bit there, here and there. And Leonard Fournette looks like uh, prime Jacksonville Leonard Fournette. So give me the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over this Buffalo Bills team that is extremely disappointing this year. And if with a loss this week, it's most likely on the outside looking in for the playoff race. And then the Sunday night game, we get the, the oldest rivalry in football. It's going to be the Chicago Bears at the Green Bay Packers. And the most surprising part of this entire game is that Matt Nagy is still coaching the Chicago Bears. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, maybe a loss on Sunday Night Football gives them the opportunity, now that some of these um, big-time stories coming out of their their administration have, have quieted down to finally make a move and oust Nagy. I know the the talk is is that the Bears have never let a coach go midseason, so they might just keep him till the end. But um, you might as well rip the Band-Aid off here and, and let him get free of Justin Fields and let him just play his, his own game that he knows he's, he's good at. On the flip side, the Packers are getting red hot. They're going to get some of these guys back. It sounds like Jair and Bakhtiari are going to get back to practice here pretty soon, so that's good news. I know uh, Zadarius Smith had an Instagram post about trying to get back on the field as well too so if they can get them guys back watch out because this is a very very dangerous team uh, i really like the packers to roll in this one give me the packers by multiple scores over the bears and that brings us to our our showdown of the week here a huge nfc west showdown a huge nfc showdown and it's going to be the rams and the cardinals and it's the rams at cardinals and the cardinals get a hard-fought win on the road at Chicago in a, a, a bad-weather game. And the Rams got a, a blowout victory over the Jaguars. So you got two teams coming off wins, vying for the division crown. And honestly, on one hand, the, the Cardinals look like the complete football team. Their defense is rolling. Their offense has finally got Kyler Murray back and DeAndre Hopkins. And on the flip side, the Rams looked lost against the Packers two weeks ago and didn't look that impressive even though winning by multiple scores over the Jacksonville Jaguars last week uh, when I'm taking a look at the matchups in this one I think it's going to be that Rams offense versus the Arizona defense 
uh, the, the Arizona defense has looked really good all year, but I don't know if they've quite seen an offense like the Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay. Uh, you're gonna get you're gonna get the full playbook here. You're gonna get McVay trying to make a play to win the rest of the division here because a win here brings them within a game, and that is huge because I'm I'm sure these teams play once more down the road here. So I don't know if they can get it done in the desert though. I'm still taking the Arizona Cardinals over the Rams mainly because it's another week of Kyler Murray getting rest, making it through healthy, and that means we're gonna get an even healthier Kyler Murray who is an absolute matchup nightmare, and I don't see anybody on that defense that can take him away. So give me the Cardinals over the Rams. So that's going to be it for our picks this week. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, let us know your thoughts on our last week's picks as well. As always, we'll be doing this week in and, week in and out moving forward. So make sure you subscribe and tune in to get our picks for next week as well. For our extra segment this week, uh, we hadn't done a, a college football check-in in quite some time here since I think it was earlier in the season. And with a uh, conference championship week behind us, the bowls uh, all set and the conference or excuse me, college football playoff set. I think it's a perfect time to check in and kind of check some of the status on where these guys are some of our biggest risers in terms of NFL draft stock. And I kind of went position by position here and picked out a guy from each position that I thought has really done the most to really elevate his game and get himself ready for 2022 NFL draft. And as always, first up is going to be the quarterback and quarterback is going to be Kenny Pickett out of pit. Uh, Kenny Pickett out of pit has done numbers to really help his, his game and Pitt ends up winning the ACC this year. And he was really the driving force behind that offense. They scored a ton of points, and I believe he was top five, top ten in most passing statistical categories across the nation here this year. Uh, he had forty three hundred, excuse me, four thousand three hundred nineteen yards, forty two touchdowns, seven interceptions, and really, really was the sh- the shining star in the ACC this year, if not the entire league. I think a lot of a lot of teams had, or excuse me, a lot a lot of analysts had him as like the number three or four prospect for the Heisman as well too so most likely he gets an invitation to that award ceremony as well but really his ability to push the ball down the field and his ability to scramble and make make things happen outside the pocket is is what really excites everybody I think I, I haven't done a huge deep dive into his game I've seen a I've seen some of the stuff out there on him and I'll say that I'm I'm not completely out on this guy I think he's got some serious potential to do something, but he's done numbers for his stock. He's a guy that wasn't even being talked about prior to the season, and now there's some very serious first-round buzz around his name. Uh, It may be fringe first-round buzz, but nonetheless, uh, good buzz. Any buzz is good buzz. So Kenny Pickett doing numbers for his NFL future this entire college football season. Next up is going to be Kenneth Walker. It's going to be the running back, excuse me, for the Michigan State Spartans. Wow, I'm really struggling this morning. And Kenneth Walker had an absolutely electric year. He was a transfer in this year for Michigan State from the portal. He ends up with 263 rushes for 1,636 yards, 18 touchdowns for a 6.2-yard average. And really, he was one of the Heisman favorites. Uh before Michigan State had that ugly loss against, uh, my apologies, before Michigan State had that ugly loss against Michigan. So uh, give me, <laughs> give me like I'm making a pick here. Uh, I, I've actually tried to do a deep dive into some of his film, and his film from when he came from Wake Forest was really hard to find. I couldn't really find anything on his Wake Forest stuff. But what he's put on tape for Michigan State this year is absolutely electric. He, he might he might be the best running back in this draft if if he comes out, which I'm thinking he is. I, I believe he doesn't have any eligibility left, so he'll be out. But his ability to be explosive to the hole and contact balance through contact and really maintain his lateral ability even after contact, is it's, really, it's quite impressive. I really like... Kenneth Walker in this draft as most likely RB1 in my book. And I'm very high on Brian Robertson Jr., which I might be the only person in the entire nation. But Kenneth Walker kind of separated himself from the pack after his his classic Heisman run this year. So Kenneth Walker really 
uh, vaulting himself into the national conversation as a running back this year. Another former transfer portal guy comes in here at wide receiver for us, has really vaulting his stock this year, and that's going to be Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams is a wide receiver for Alabama, and anybody that was watching the Georgia game last weekend, as as I was, was came if you hadn't watched Williams all year, you came away extremely impressed. This guy is he's the real deal. And uh, he finished the year with 68 receptions, 1,445 yards, 15 touchdowns for an absolute scathing 21.3-yard average per reception. So that, that that's extremely impressive. Every time this guy's catching a ball, it's going 20 yards. But the, the most impressive thing for me and the most surprising thing, I guess I should say, is that this guy was a transfer in from Ohio State. And the reason he transfers is because he's the number four receiver at Ohio State. That's how good Ohio State's receivers are behind Chris Olave, behind Garrett Wilson, behind uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. And he knew he wasn't going to get playing time, so he gets out of there and he comes to Alabama and is really the featured guy in this offense. He like, ends up taking that role away from Mechie. And I believe he's a Blitnikoff f- f- finalist as well, too, this year. So that he's at, honestly one of the best receivers in college football. And this past week, I seen a mock draft with him going in the mid-20s. So this is a guy that... If you look at his stats from last year, he had 154 yards receiving and probably wasn't even part of the conversation in terms of NFL draft now going in the first round. So that is an absolute light year difference here is what we're talking about. Uh, and the parts of his game that I really like is there's a ton of speed with this guy. I think he's a lot faster than people think. And he was just running away from dudes during that game. Uh, I'm th- I think we're talking legit 4-3 speed. He had some really soft hands, and his ability to separate is is quite impressive as well, too. So Jamison Williams really doing a number for himself this year. Uh, in terms of tight ends, I didn't really do a deep dive in any of them there, but the first guy that I wanted to talk about is going to be an offensive lineman before we switch over to the defensive side, and it's going to be Akam Ikuanu, uh out of NC State, and this is one of the guys that I had watched in the preseason, and honestly, I wasn't that impressed by him. And I, I thought he was a, a, a tackle that's going to get kicked inside to guard, and he's going to be a really high-level guard. He was really a big-time mauler inside, and this year he goes out at offensive tackle and plays quite admirably. And I know there's a lot of belief in the league now after after listening to a lot of people that they could try to make him stick at tackle now that his his footwork has really improved his ability to to stay with some of these speed rushers has really improved and it's it's a fair shot they're gonna give him a fair shake to try to shake out a tackle this year I still don't know if I would do that but there's been some serious buzz where this guy was a, a fringe first rounder at the beginning of the year second or third rounder maybe and there's serious top 10 buzz for him there's a lot of people that like him taking him in the top 10 uh, between Daniel Jeremiah and the guys over at TDN that I listen to as well, too. There's there's a lot of love for Akamakwano out there right now, and it's rightfully so. This guy's an absolute bear. Uh, he He's able to get second level, and what he does to backers once he gets there is, is something that offensive line coaches are going to love. I, I think if you can get him a little bit of coaching and do, fix some of this footwork stuff and help him on some of his pass sets, I think that's going to do a lot for him and his ability to to play tackle at the next level. But I, honestly, I think you're getting like, I'm not going to say Quentin Nelson level prospect because that's a once-in-a-generation type of guy, but you're getting a, a bona fide star at guard if you kick him inside right off the bat with Ike Mikwanu. So I really like his ceiling there. And the last guy on the offensive line that I wanted to mention is uh, it's going to be Trevor Penning, offensive lineman from, I, I believe it's Northern Iowa, and... This guy was not even really on my radar. He still really isn't on my radar. But he's getting a ton of first-round love this year. Uh, Once again, this is another guy that nobody was even mentioning early in the season. Uh, There's a ton of love for Jackson Kirkland. There's a ton of love for Akemikwanu. I shouldn't say a ton for Akemikwanu. But there was some love out there for him. And there was was none for this Trevor Penning guy. He's coming from a smaller program, a smaller D1 program. And now he's being vaulted into the first round. Uh, 
Spencer Brown, I believe, was out of Northern Iowa as well, too. And he's he's playing really well for the Buffalo Bills at the moment. So maybe that's one of the things that really gets him noticed and really helps raise his ceiling up as you've seen somebody else from this same program and really translate his game well over to the NFL. So Trevor Penning has a a limitless ceiling as well, too, here and has really made a huge leap in the past year. Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, there's there's three prospects I wanted to to point out here. And the first one, uh, no surprise here, no surprise at all. And he really had an opportunity coming out to come out in the draft last year, but ended up having a, a, an injury that really limited him, that allowed him to come back. And uh, he really said that he wa- the other reason he wanted to come back was to beat his his conference rival, and they did just that. It's going to be Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson might have been a second or third rounder if he came out last year's draft after the injury history. Comes out this year, and now there's very serious discussion around him being the first overall pick in the draft and him leaping Kayvon Thibodeau. Now, when you look at their games, they both play the same position in edge rusher, but they play it, I don't just want to say very differently, but they play it differently. As Hutchinson's more of, he uses his hands very, very well. And he's very physical at the point of attack. And he can play multiple positions. He can play like a 4-3 defensive end and like a 5-tech. He can do stand-up rusher uh, as like a 5-tech. He can he can tap down possibly in some sub packages to like 3. I, I'd be okay with that if he threw a little bit of weight on. And on the flip side, Capon Thibodeau is more of like your wide 7, uh, 5 player that's going to be able to do a speed rush and really set an edge and beat the guy off the corner. I'm still in the fair territory of Kayvon Thibodeau, edge one, but Hutchinson's definitely creeped up the board. Uh, it, it it didn't take long. It was like halfway through the first game, and you're like, this guy's got it. Like, he uses his hands so well, so well. Uh, he's got, His bull rush is elite as well, too. He's just walking dudes back into his lap. And the big thing is, is his bull rush, he comes off with that, and what's his counter to it? And that's where his hands come in. That's where you really see him. So if you flip on his tape, that's what you got to be looking for there. But Aiden Hutchinson has made himself so much money this year. He he's not going to make it outside of the top five, top ten picks, bearing or barring some injury concerns. So Aiden Hutchinson, head and shoulders, and I hadn't been able to mention him on the pod anytime re- recently. So I wanted to make sure we got him in here. Which takes us to our next position. It's going to be linebacker. And it's going to be N'Kobe Dean for the Georgia Bulldogs. And this is another guy that I really, really wanted to make a mention of at some point during this year because he's been a huge key piece for this Georgia Bulldogs defense. Uh, He's currently sitting at a total tackles of 61. He's got five sacks, a forced fumble, and two picks. So he's got pretty solid stats. But what's more important is He's the signal caller. He's the he's the heart and soul of this Georgia defense that's been number one in the entire nation all year. Uh, playing behind Jordan Davis has really opened up a ton of opportunities for him. And really when we're taking a look at it is there wasn't a ton of buzz for this guy coming into the year. But all of a sudden you start seeing Georgia's defense playing really well. And you start seeing, well, who's calling the, who's calling the plays here? Who's 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 the leader on this defense? And it's Nicole Dean. Uh, he's give, he's giving you some really serious Roquan Smith vibes, and when you watch the national title game, uh, anytime they were they were splitting out guys, or making uh excuse me splitting out running backs or, or tight ends, I th- I believe I seen Nicobe Dean out there a couple times. They're not afraid to put this guy on an island against some of these better athletes, which is huge for him uh, translating his game to the next level. As the game evolves. You're getting guys like Fred Warner and uh, Darius Leonard, who are a little undersized, but they're asking a lot more of them in coverage. So, Nicobe Dean, that really helps his draft stock. And I've 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 honestly seen some drafts lately that even have him at the tail end of the first round, which is something that you couldn't say about Nicobe Dean last year. So, Nicobe Dean making a huge leap for the Georgia Bulldogs this year, and really helping his draft stock as well too. And then the last guy I wanted to talk about is I wanted to make sure we got a DB uh, in the conversation here. And really a lot of the cornerbacks had lived up to the hype this year uh, between Stingley and Ahmad Gardner, Kyrie Elam. All these guys looked really good this year. So none of them could make the list as guys that made the leap. 
So I flipped it over to the safety side, and we all know what Kyle Hamilton is. We all know he's not he's not taking a leap. He's already elite. So when I'm looking at college football, I seen Jaquan Brisker, and I was really impressed by some of the numbers that I was seeing from him. And he was getting a ton of first-round love, which is something that I hadn't seen. He He's honestly replaced Brandon Joseph as the guy in the safety class here for the 2022 NFL Draft. And when you take a look at his numbers, this year he's had, excuse me, 63 tackles, uh, 38 solos, 25 assists. He's got two interceptions, uh, five passes defensed, and I believe he's got a fumble recovery as well, too. Um, so the stats are there. He's not too bad, but it's really, I think, more of like a, his projection as a pro that gets people excited. This is a dude that's running a four two eight forty on the back end, so that that gives you a lot of options in terms of what you can do with him. Uh, with that kind of speed, you can cover pretty much the entire field as as a single high. So I really like his potential there, his and his ability to do that. But even on the flip side of this as well. You can't be afraid to bring him in a box. With that speed, there, there's so many things you can do. You can put him in slot coverage and let him run with some of these quicker guys in the NFL. Uh, you can bring him in the box. He's still 200 pounds. Uh, he can maybe even throw a little bit of weight on and still maintain some of that speed. And then you'd be able to play him as like a box safety. So there's a lot of different abilities that he has. And I think with his athleticism, the ceiling's limitless. There's a lot of options you can do. And he's coming from a big-time program that's really shown that they can develop NFL talent. So Jaquan Brisker really working himself into the first-round conversation is another thing that's been quite impressive this year for the, the 2021 college football season and 2022 NFL draft. So like I said, that was just a quick check-in on about like eight, nine guys that have been really impressive this year. Uh, we'll do a deep dive into our scouting here once the we get a little bit further and maybe the NFL regular season's done when we get some time to really start hashing, hashing through some of that film that's been put on tape this year. Uh, we still have our big board from the preseason. I'm sure it's going to look vastly different once we get through some of that film. But nonetheless, uh, th- that's a quick preview for our college football check-in and basically stay tuned. We're going to have more for you down the road here. So that's going to be it for today's show. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed some of the content with the the college football stuff checking in there. As always, we'll we'll do a deeper dive once we get a little bit deeper into the year and then the the NFL comes closer to an end and the NFL draft starts ramping up. So make sure you hit subscribe so you can tune in each week and get notifications once the episode's up. And as always, have a great week and we'll see you next week.